Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. All right, everyone here. Welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Ray Welker. I'm a cloud solutions engineer here with Right Brain Networks, and I'll be your host today. Uh, joining me today is our software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Hello. We have uh, our director of cloud engineering as well at Right Brain Networks, Adam, Adam Oberhausen. Hello. Thanks, Ray. And uh, our guest speaker here today uh, is Nathan Hanish. And last but not least, we have our business technology consultant, Joe, Col Joe Coleman. Hey there, Ray. Uh, thanks for the lovely intro there. Just throwing it out there real quick. Uh, anyone listening that wants to, you know, might have a question or anything like that, throw it up there in the chat. I'll be sure to uh, interject, make sure we get to that and uh, get everything covered. So thanks again, Ray. Yeah, thank you, Joe. So yeah, in this episode uh, today, we're going to be discussing uh, generative AI game development um we have our you know our expert here uh nathan hannish uh nathan do you want to give a little intro as well sure so i've been doing game development for about 25 years lots of different platforms lots of different genres lots of different engines big studios small studios medium-sized studios dod for the last decade or so i've been at stardock and the role is lead engineer on half a dozen major projects and I also am tinkering with small-scale game development and AI in my spare time on top of my day job. Awesome. Yeah, um, we have a lot to cover today, so grab your lunch and buckle up, everyone. Um, so, you know, Tom, Adam, we're all gamers, right? Um, Joe, I, I think Nate, all of us here on stage, we're all gamers. Oh, yeah. Super used, to be a, used to be a gamer, now I'm a parent. <laughs> But yeah, still, still find time. I, th I don't think I'll ever, uh, my love for gaming will never end. And now I, it's interesting how your, 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 um, interesting games evolve over time. I really like a relaxing gaming experience now, chill, something to wind down at the end of the day versus those like hardcore adrenaline junkie first person shooters I was playing, you know, 20 years ago. So anyways, yes, love games, part of my life. Very excited to talk to someone as, as experienced as Nathan about this, what's happening in the gaming industry right now with AI in particular. Yeah, super excited to get into that. Um, definitely interested in, you know, being a lover of uh, AI, ChatGPT, uh, Stable Diffusion, General. Um, love seeing the two coupled together now. Um, it's been happening for a little while, but I know that um, Nathan, uh, as well as, you know, the Stardock team has done a little bit with Galsip 4 in yeah. terms of alien GPT. Um, maybe we could, maybe we could start with that, talk about that just a little bit, um, to touch on it. Um, I was definitely curious, uh, what, um, you know, what kind of sparked that interest to, uh, incorporate generative AI into creating civilizations in Galsip 4. Okay, sure. So I, there, there's two major impetuses there. 
Um, one is that myself and also um, Brad uh, Wernell are pretty eyeballs deep in AI and have been for a while. And so we were looking for opportunities. Like, we've got this great technology. We know it's on the exponential growth curve. How do we grab hold of that, get it into product in market quick? And that was sort of an obvious, hey, we're putting out this early access anyways. This would be a great place to apply that technology. Uh, the other is just an operational need. So I kept Collective Civilizations is a large-scale space simulation forex strategy game that people will play over and over again, literally for hundreds or thousands of hours. And we're always looking for ways to like, okay, you want to spice up the content. So we'll, you know, over the years, we've had player-generated content that we would allow people to share back and forth. But there are, there are limits to how much a human can write at the end of the day. And so um, Alien GPT is a way to uh, help our players be creative and make the, the aliens that they want and really facilitate that experience. And then uh, down the road, share that with other players. And I'll say it's, it's been probably the most fun thing I've worked on in my career. Uh, some of the results we get back are really like, I, I laugh till I cry regularly with how clever and on point and unpredictable, but very fitting that the results end up being. Can you, can you explain a little bit about what, what exactly is alien GPT? Like, you know, for those who might not know, like what, yeah. do, what do you actually do in the game and what does it, what, what does it produce for the users? Okay. So, um, we have long had a uh, faction or leader creator flow where you would, you know, put in the text about what is your faction, what's their name and what do they like to eat and not like to eat and the conversations that they'll have with other factions. And then you could either use you know, canned images or bring in your own and uh, share those up to the, the workshop. And people really enjoy that. So what this does is it, um, with the help of ChatGPT on the back end, facilitates filling in those descriptions and those conversations and generating a set of um, really very good uh, images for the leaders and giving the user a lot of options for those. So for instance, you, we looked at what people were putting in as who they want to be. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are be fairies or they want to be, you know, sentient food. And so we were able to uh, facilitate imagery that lines up with the things that the players were already asking for. And frankly, the results are as good as or better than um, having an artist sit there and hand make the art. Are these three? I can be like, I can... Uh, so... The current, the current set of imagery is all 2D, but um, I will say that there's a lot of emerging technology that will facilitate going from 2D to 3D or 2D to at least animated 2D. And I, you know, I can't speak to where we're explicitly going with that product, but the technologies are definitely coming online to do things like start with an image and then animate that image and lip sync it. And is this just like a single image of a character or is it generating multiple posts? It's a handful of images. Okay. Because that's something that I've, you know, run into with using um, AI technology, like, you know, generated graphics is, you know, if you wanted to make the same thing in like a different pose or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wearing something different, the, the eye color becomes different, you know, of that character when it regenerates it or... 
things like that. So what technologies are you using and do you deal with that or? Um, I would say that I don't know that I want to speak to this particular set of technologies we're using right now. What I will say is that there are some technologies coming online, in particular, I want to say EB Synth and Temporal Kit that really do a good job of keeping an animation on the generated imagery consistent from frame to frame and doing things like animation transfer. Um, there are amazing things showing up literally by the day. Many cool. of them open source and directly applicable. I wanted to touch a little bit. Yeah, so in the dev blog 13, um, I just, I wanted to circle back to some of your favorite content that you've seen players generate. Um, and in addition to that, I think it's interesting that there's this statement um, that you're kind of doubling down. Like, before you're able to hire X amount of artists and get an, you know, X amount of content created by humans. Um, now with the coupling of AI, you can actually hire more developers, writers, and, uh, mm -hmm. editors, and, you know, essentially exponentially create more content, uh, because you can retrain your own models using, you know, using art that's being generated, right? Yes. So uh, that is a good point, which is that we've, the art that we're generating is trained on the art that we've made yep. over the you know, close to 30 years worth of history of the, the product line. That's, that's fascinating. Which is great for like, we end up with consistent results that fit. That's one of the huge challenges in art production generally is once you get past art made by one person, well, artists don't work quite the same and they use slightly different tools and different lighting and different palettes. And so getting in all scenarios of game development, generating art you know, by hand or otherwise, getting consistency is a big challenge. So I kind of want to segue a little bit from what, you know, you're focused on at Stardock and let's maybe talk about what we can, uh, what you do, um, and your experience with, um, generative AI and all the different aspects of game development, um, be it graphics, audio, you know, the own tooling that you're using, uh, or that you're creating and, you know, the story that you're telling. Um, so how about generative AI and graphics? Like how, what would you recommend to a new or aspiring game developer? And how do you see AI shaping the way that, you know, graphics are being created in games nowadays? Sure. I would say the the single biggest shift we've seen and, and really more important than anything else is on the concept art side, where at every studio I've worked at, you've got a creative director over here and some contest content, I'm sorry, concept artists over here that are talking through, you know, a meat space voice and are not seeing the same things in their heads. And an awful lot of time gets wasted at the front of every single project, getting to what do we actually want this thing to look like? What is the vision in my head that I, you know, as a creative director, don't know how to get onto paper and uh, being able to have an AI in the middle of that is just a radical accelerant. So there's an awful lot of things that can be done the traditional way that can be improved upon or just done faster. You know, we've much tightened out the iteration cycle by throwing AI in the middle. That's fascinating. Uh, I know there's a there's an open source GitHub project that's an extension upon Stable Diffusion called SD Paint. That <laughs> is, yeah, you can effectively just, I, I don't have any drawing abilities, but I can sketch up, you know, a stick figure and uh, put a description in there and 
get some fascinating results. We'll talk about stick figures. I don't know if you've looked at uh, the control net add-on to Stable Diffusion now, but with the control net mix-in, you can essentially start with stick figures and get matching poses. Oh, wow. And that works really well. I will be looking into that. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so, so really, I mean, AI is accelerating concept to, you know, to actual creation of content, right? So yes. you're able to create more faster. And, and well, it's, it's not even that so much as it's facilitating communication. So, you know, one of the big problems we have in this as cross industry is you get somebody who's an expert in field A and expert in field B and an expert in field C, and there's really not a time in, you know, there's not time in a lifetime to become expert in both of them. But now with, you know, ChatGPT and the various other tools, you could be pretty good in several fields at once. And so it kind of facilitates collaboration and in bringing the different areas of expertise together quickly. Do you see any pushback uh, from the industry and yes. these tools? What, and I don't know if you can comment on what you're seeing. It, just, it, it seems like all, all pie in the sky to me. Um, especially when you talk about it actually creates more jobs in some cases, like, you know, uh, cause you can justify hiring because of the content they're able to generate. But yeah, back to my question, do you see pushback in your industry about using AI? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I don't personally know where things are going to fall out industry wide in terms of does this increase hiring? Does it decrease hiring? Does it open up opportunities in adjacent markets that were previously not um, cost-effective. That's what we saw with Unity, for instance, was, you know, when it cost a quarter million dollars to even start a game project, there were an awful lot of game projects that weren't even remotely feasible. But when you throw Unity or Unreal in, um, suddenly, now we've got training, now we've got real estate, now we've got visualizations built on top of the same technology and the same uh, workers that simply would not have happened prior to those things happening. So I would actually say, I expect that we will end up with higher employment if you look at the industry a little more broadly as like including adjacent markets. So, you know, these, these skill sets that were you know, previously ivory, ivory tower will dilute a little bit. Um, definitely, you know, I'm, I, I read the forums, I see people on Facebook. Um, I see a lot of pushback on, you know, from some artists who are worried about their, you know, justifiably worried about their jobs. Um, from some engineers who are justifiably worried about their jobs. You know, basically everybody now has a free or almost free associate dev walking around with them all times because they've got ChatGPT or Find.com. You got the writer's strike in Hollywood. The writer's strike. Thank you. No, that's and that's where it's no, next. No more AI, uh, which I think is interesting, which, which is like, <laughs> I mean, if I was a writer, I'd, I got to imagine I'd be, I'd be using the tool as much as I could just to help with... Um, getting mentally blocked and just helping to generate. I, I view it as an idea generator, right? Like yeah. I, it's not, it's a tool. It's not going to solve my problem hundred percent, but it's just an accelerant for anything I need to help with accelerating. Right. I, yeah, I definitely think that some of the pushback is like, I get it, but like the cat is out of the bag. The technology is going to be used. It's never going to uninvent. What about the intellectual property side of it, right? Like, hey, generate me something like this artist and this artist. Um, your thoughts on that? 
I, I think that that is a a thicket. I will say that for my personal projects, I've definitely veered into like, I'm doing outdoor scenes of trees and I don't see, like, that's pretty far from anything anybody, if I'm, if it's anything I think anybody's going to raise uh, hassles about. Um, certainly, if you know how to manipulate the prompts a lot, you can get art that looks very similar to somebody else's art. <laughs> um, but also, like, when you really get the process of, no, we're sort of dissolving every image that's available and then rebuilding out of noise, it's, it has a somewhat different connotation than straight-up stealing. But yeah, yeah, I think that these are dialogues that are going to continue and probably play out the court system over the next few years. Yeah, you guys had the previous podcast here on yeah, regulating AI, and um, yeah, there's there's not there's not much out there right now, which is you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But definitely proponent yeah. of AI and art generation, that's for sure. Um, so so yeah, do you, do you do you have anything like with your personal projects that you would like to share regarding you know how you used it to generate assets within your own games? Um, sure. So I I'll only talk briefly about my personal project. Basically, I'm taking a you know '80s vintage side scroller um, below the root, which is a sort of an early Metroidvania. Um, in my opinion, it was really ahead of its time, but it's all like 16 color monochrome sprites which you know hold up in terms of readability but obviously don't look modern so i was like all right how do i modernize this and basically built out um so i could take each of the screens and separate them into like here's this set of sprites here's this set of sprites here's this set of sprites feed that all into a spreadsheet and then use python scripts and you know image magic and gimp uh, gimp foo and stable diffusion to take a set of prompts and regenerate all those images and put them together. So I can take like a monochrome tree and a house and the vine rope and run through, you know, 10 iterations of each of those, pick the ones I like, composite them together and get something that actually looks pretty good and pretty modern. Uh, one of the big things there that led me to choose Stable Diffusion over, let's say, Dolly or Midjourney or some of the other tools is that over the course of this game map, I might be generating 2,500 images. And then if you talk about, you know, five or six edit passes, you get over 10,000 pretty quick, which is no, like, mid-journey's cheap, but it's not that cheap. Maybe. Wow. So I think the big, big, big takeaway that from that, though, is the AI tools are great, but when you couple them with things like Google Sheets and Python scripts, which, oh, by the way, I let ChatGPT help me rate those things, which was great. Um, these tools go from, this is a neat toy, to, wow, this is really powerful. Like, you can build a production pipeline completely around this tool set. Are you just running yeah. your own I'm, hardware, then, to do the stable? Yeah, I'm just running on a, a NVIDIA 1080 and my own PC. What's the uh, turnaround time you're usually seeing for like creating, say, like a 512 by 512 image or something like that? How long is that taking um, you at like your hardware? Sure. So, because I am reloading the model, which is sort of like the, the compressed database for each image, it ends up taking about a minute per. Um, if I were to work through all the bugs of, no, just load the model once and then reprocess, 
it would probably be 20 seconds per. So, you know, I'll set, a, set up a job and come back in a couple of days. So you talked a little bit about generating internal tooling. Um, like, what are some examples that you've, you've used ChatGPT for to generate tools to help you uh, in case development? Sure. So, you know, a lot of games, and especially ones I've worked on, have an awful lot of data, data either sitting in CSVs or JSON or XML or Lua or some relatively simple text format. Uh, and what I have found is that you can say, hey, ChatGPT, here's what my data looks like. Write me you know, four windows using Cocos 2D or TCTLTK. Write me a UI that will let me edit data in this format and save out to a file. And it will generate code that's really close on a first pass. I haven't done anything yet where I didn't have to still edit a little bit but you can get pretty close and at least have a you know somewhat user-friendly editor that's a little bit better than editing straight text. And that's we'll big. generate those things very, very fast. So in the, you know, certainly that's an argument towards put your data in human-readable formats because it will save you a lot of pain. Yeah, it does seem to be really good. I have a similar experience, Nathan, with uh, having it help me write uh, infrastructure as code, uh, in particular uh, CDK, in either JavaScript or Python. Uh, ChatGPT seems really, really good at Python, mm -hmm. uh, but you still kind of have to like tweak it, um, you know, make sure it runs properly, does what you want, but it, it really helps accelerate. And um, Have you found with, when you have like longer conversations about a particular piece of code that ChatGPT starts to hallucinate methods or make up things that don't exist? Because that's kind of, I, I feel like the longer the conversation I have, the more it gets kind of just like, eh just start, you know, starts bullshitting more and more as the conversation goes on. Yes. I will say that 4, ChatGPT 4, is much, much better than 3.5 was in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if it's with anything in life or in computing, like, don't trust a single source. Always find three different variations because you're going to need parts of each of them. And I've learned to do things like I'll take the conversation, put it into a text file, and then make a new uh, instance and just put in the parts that are actually relevant to the particular question. Right. Yeah. Good idea. You know, building that pretext is really important. Yeah, I found that very useful as well. Um, kind of giving it snippets of exactly what you're looking to uh, either write or modify uh, within the existing code and giving, you know, within English, telling, explaining exactly what you want to do. And yeah, there's always slight modifications we need to make, but um, to your point, Adam, is an accelerant. And I would say definitely I'm using ChatGPT and find.com, E-H-I-N-D, again, just to get multiple views on the same problem. And the truth usually lies somewhere in between those. Yeah, that was the uh, thing you posted the other day, Ray. Was that the final? I got it from Nathan. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, it looks really cool. I still have to check it out. Yeah, AI for developers, um, very useful for 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 code segments, and you know I, I love that it gives you reference articles as well. You know, there's you know the Stack Overflow articles, maybe the actual uh, documentation for whatever I'm you know module I'm trying to work with, or library I'm trying to work with. Um, super super useful. Um, I guess uh, 
what do you see as some of the challenges that you've encountered um, when using AI just as a as a whole? Um, have there been any bottlenecks that you've run into by using generative AI where you've had to just kind of completely scrap the idea and you know do it yourself? I would say probably the biggest headache I've run into is that you still have to figure out a functional workflow and you know, then you can automate that. So for instance, uh, I really want to be able to use paint with words, which paint with words, multi-diffusion, um, edify, I think is NVIDIA's version, uh, in order to do some projects. Well, like getting source that actually has been published and then getting it to build and then getting it to run and then realizing the first five or six things you tried didn't actually get you really the results that you wanted. So there's, for a lot of these tools, in order to get good results, you still have to get kind of into the weeds and you know, build up from simple examples to production-worthy examples. So, and it's it's the sort of building a pipeline that you have on any game project, but now with you know AI in the middle, I definitely I'm still ending up in in the weeds quite a bit of the time. Do you think it'll get there? Like, I mean, this is like you know. Gen 1, I don't know what we call this chat GPT error, but like just to see what it's capable in this current generation, like do, what do you think in like a year from now, two years from now, like do you think it's going to be just a totally like a, a totally different landscape with what you're able to do with piloting an AI to help you craft games? I, I, I believe so. And if you look at just the amount of growth that's happened, you know, in the last couple of weeks where you've got things like uh, MythMaker AI, which is basically you know, a virtual dungeon master, and you've got tools for animation transfer from, you know, human walking against a green screen onto a character that just got diffused and now is fully animated. You know, as um, Get 3D from NVIDIA, where they're literally diffusing 3D models, you know, of chairs and quadrupeds, let's say, but, you know, we'll continue to grow from there. As these tools become available and mature, it will affect more and more of how we build our pipelines. Uh, I'll say that there's still definitely some vaporware out there. The other big thing that I'm seeing is, so let's say with facial animation in it, uh, character, a 2D character, you can kind of sort of get it to work with open source code, or you can go to like Studio DID and they've already got a cloud interf cloud backend and a web interface that's ridiculously easy to use. So I would say the the ease of use is probably the biggest thing that we'll see change as opposed to a fundamental new technology in the next six to 12 months. And a lot of these uh, cloud-based solutions have been really good about putting up an API. Like they really want you to be calling this from your pipeline code. Mm -hmm. I would also just add that um, a few of the tools have finally gotten good enough. So for instance, uh, text to voice, you could always use it as a first pass, but it was never good enough to ship a game with. Um, I'll say over the weekend, I was messing with 11 labs and it's the first text to voice that I'm like, nope, you, you could ship this and it's as good as a voice actor. Yeah. I, I think I tried one recently too, uh, maybe a month or two ago and it just, you could still kind of hear that it wasn't a real human. It was like an AI, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's it's evolving so fast that I'm not surprised that you've, as someone with your experience, found something that, uh, you know, you'd say, yeah, this is this is quality enough to put in a game or, you know, uh, put in a, 
put out there. I'll say the five or six other tools I tried were all good, but not quite past that threshold. Yeah, I didn't look at... Um, go ahead, and Sorry, go ahead. I was going to kind of... I wanted to maybe circle back to the MythMaker um, mm-hmm. and just, like, kind of... I'm really interested to, like... I've always felt like NPCs in games are lifeless, right? And, like, mm-hmm. they don't really have, like, real dialogue. So are you guys doing... I guess have, in any of your projects, are you seeing in the industry that they're like gonna weave in um, GPT like dialogue into these NPCs to make them more? I don't know, like you're interacting with a real person versus a versus just a you know a lifeless yep. soul. I, I will say that it's inevitable. Um, yeah. The few experiments I've done have been both incredibly encouraging and not very hard. So. Um, I think the the change that may have to happen there is um, we may have to reach the point where you're getting like ChatGPT4 level on private hardware because you know, if you're going to be running games where everybody's talking to the AIs all the time and they're talking to each other, uh, that would get, like, even as cheap as ChatGPT is, which, God bless them, like, that would still get really expensive. Yeah, because, like, if you're thinking about an open-world game, where you might be talking to the same the same character over a course of a hundred hours of playing, that that character would need to remember all the context of what it said to you, what you said back, and like, and that just kind of like that just seems like it's a lot of uh, overhead to, you know, keep track of that data and understand the context and all that all that jazz. Well, if if you want a, a sandbox version of that, I'd recommend AI Dungeon. Uh, I don't know if you played around with that at all, Adam or anybody, but uh, it's essentially you know generative AI based uh, text based game. And it currently starts to hallucinate, and you get into some pretty interesting scenarios. Cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. I will add, and this is not based upon personal experience, but anecdotal. Um, If you've got an AI that will remember everything you've said for that last thousand hours, I would recommend being careful what you say to it before, you know, showing it to other people. Of course. (laughs) Gotta write your P's and Q's when you talk with AI. Uh, if I'm playing a video game, I'm gonna be completely juvenile and te- <laughs> kill my own team, do all this ridiculous stuff. So <laughs> my game could very quickly devolve into complete madness. <laughs> it might turn on you, Joe. It probably would. <laughs> the village of NPCs just decided we gotta take this guy out. <laughs> I guess the, I, I I'm still f- curious on this, Nathan. But like, if you if a if an NPC says something, like, how can you ensure that it's going to generate a response that is even feasible within the game? You know, like, couldn't it? I don't know. I don't know if I'm asking the right question, but like, it seems like an NPC could say any w- wild thing based off of ch- ChatGPT, and it could like be out of context of the game. It could send you on a quest that doesn't exist. Sure. Like, how do you how do you control that? Legal. Um, a lot of a lot of that you do through so when you submit um, a conversation request to ChatGPT in particular, you specify a pretext and you specify the prompt. And a lot of how you do that is by carefully building up the pretext. Like, here's the context that we're playing in. Here's a little bit of background. Here's things I don't want you to say. Um, and in my experience, ChatGPT does pretty good with that, um, but there are definitely still some outliers that come through. Yeah. So kind of like uh, around the context of that, how how would you say, 
your own prompt engineering skills have evolved from when you first started to work working with AI to, to like where you're at now? And is there any resources you'd recommend maybe like, you know, um, level up? Um, they definitely have evolved and there are, I, I follow, you know, a dozen different Facebook groups. So I'm getting an, a sort of a nonstop feed of, oh, do this, don't do that, do this other thing. And I don't know that I could pick one or another of those that has been really breakthrough. It's kind of the, the fire hose. And what I've taken to doing is just every day I get, you know, the input off of Facebook, pick the two or three things that are worth researching, put them into a queue. And then over the weekend or the evening, go through that queue. And just recently, I think I finally kind of hit saturation where 95% of what's coming in, I've already looked at, but it, like, this is changing by the day and significantly. Great. Um, we are, we are nearing time here. So I just wanted to make note, you know, if there's anything anybody else wanted to ask any last, you know, remaining burning questions topics that you wanted to cover and let's address those now uh i'm good i really interesting conversation i'd love to have nathan back to talk more about this stuff um but i'll leave it at that for today thanks ray yeah it looks like um i'll give it one more minute here we might have one question coming in through through a chat um but yeah it's been you know it's been really great talking with you nathan we'd love to have you back if you'd like to come here in the future uh to talk about any given topic um you are giving a, a talk in Ann Arbor here. Uh, you said on, is it the 18th? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, no, May, May 25th for IGDA, so International Game Developers Association of Ann Arbor, which is also known as uh, A2 Game Dev. Um, you can find on either of those under Facebook. Um, I believe the meetup will be at Spark West. It's also on Twitch and Discord, um, but I've got a 60 AI tools for in 60 minutes, and I actually have 60 of them, and I'm probably going to have to cut a few, and you know, either spoken or animated examples for every one of them, along with the citations for the papers and the GitHub links and all that. So it should be pretty exciting and dense. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I'd say if we want to learn more on this, you know, definitely attend that or view it virtually. Um, I, I know I'll definitely be tuning in. I'll make it for sure. Ken. Um, we do have one more question. Uh, so out of curiosity, with the way current generated content is being created in terms of copyright and how it can't be trademarked, what are your plans or concerns to try and protect the content you do generate? That's a really good question. And I don't know that I've got a great answer to it. I, I will say, you know, at least for my personal projects, it's really the game as a whole that I think is interesting as opposed to like a tree or a chair. Like if I could build the whole thing with Creative Commons assets, I would do that. Um, but certainly I know that in, in other titles that say, you know, AAA action titles, they really, they want to sell the con art in the book. You know, a published book and really tightly control that imagery that will, uh, that's going to have to play out. I, I don't have a good answer. But really, it kind of depends on the project. I'll say for, for like the alien GPT with collect civilizations for supernova, um, we've long had user generated content. So we're sort of treating this content in the same bucket. Like we just want players to have more to play with. We're not 
interested in tightly controlling every bit of it. We want people to monitor games. Um, well, I do want to take this opportunity, um, you know, and thank everybody for tuning in here today for today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders um, on generative AI and game development. We hope you found the conversation informative, valuable, and we'd love to have you again uh, for our next episode where we're going to discuss machine learning in health data. So as always, uh, the episode will feature expert guests and interactive conversations. So, you know, be sure to be tuned to tune in. Well, great show, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for awesome. Thank you so much.